1: This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. A lot coming up on the program today. I want to start out with the GOP's obsession on power at all costs and how that might turn out. And we've got bizarre tales from the right wing, incels, turtle love, and another Trump con. Oh, my (laughs) Professor Richard Wolff will be with us, the economist and professor of economics. We're going to be talking about neoliberalism. What? What's neoliberalism? That's exactly what we're going to talk about. But I want to start out with my rant from HartmanReport.com, which is titled, The GOP's obsession with power at all costs will end badly for all of us, including them. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, the, you know, hardcore right-wingers and people who are willing to use hate, BS, lies, in order to achieve and hold political power, very often it works over the short term. I mean, you know, we saw this with, with Donald Trump in 2016. Um, you know, we've seen this with numerous governments around the world uh, that, that rose up using hate, basically, and using lies and, but, but in the end, not only is, does it damage their nations, not only does it destroy them but it, it just, or you know, everybody around them, but it destroys them as well. And, and so I think it's useful to just like take a look at some of the things the Republican Party are, is in, up to, you know, what, what they're into right now, that have the potential to just blow back in our faces as, and in their faces as well. I mean, for example, you know, they're, they're running around yelling about voter fraud. And as a result, now we have seven states that have passed serious restrictions on voting and the politicization of the election process, including down in Texas, letting guys in camo come into polling places and harass people who are voting or vote or poll workers, harass them. I mean, the Republicans think they're being really slick with this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, You know, we can't win by any more with our issues because we don't have any issues outside of, you know, basically uh, white supremacy. So we're going to win by intimidation and by manipulation and by, you know. But, yeah, okay, you might win a few elections, but what have you done to America and how is that going to blow back on you over the long term? I don't think they're thinking this through. Another step in that piece is they're throwing people off the voting rolls. This is how Brian Kemp, uh, so-called won the election in Georgia. He threw a half a million people off the election rolls, and then he won by 50,000 votes when he went up against Stacey Abrams. Uh, they th- this is like their new strategy, and the Supreme Court has, has given it its stamp of approval, and, and the Republican states are just enthusiastically right now stripping people off voting rolls with virtually no publicity. It's probably the number one crime that's being committed under our noses right now, along with tax fraud by by billionaires. Um, <laughs> Mark Sumner has a piece over at Daily Coast today about seven trillion dollars stolen from America by by uh, the, the the uber rich. Uh, you know that, that, that's happening without even basically much discussion in the mainstream media, anyway. Um, the the republicans are ignoring literally decades of evidence i mean the actual science and studies and things like that not to mention common sense that say that comprehensive sex education in our schools both reduces unwanted pregnancies and reduces sexually transmitted diseases but texas and numerous other states say that if a teacher even mentions birth control they can lose their job in some cases they can even be prosecuted they forbid it and and they're only teaching abstinence. I mean it's not it's not just the abortion thing that Texas is up to. This is this is kind of where I started this piece is you know they think they're just too clever by half by saying that we can use vigilantes to end abortion in Texas. Well, you know somebody else could come along and say we're going to use vigilantes to end free speech. If we're going to use vigilantism to end rights where does that where does that lead to? Where does that end up? Well, again, here's here's, you know, they they pretend that the brutal history of religious fanatics in New England, what I what I wrote about on Monday on on, uh, on Labor Day, and the warnings of everybody, literally from Jesus to Jefferson, that it's vital that we separate church and state. Just completely ignoring that, Republicans are embracing hardcore fundamentalist preachers thinking that well, oh, these guys will be with us forever. yeah, just wait until you're no longer useful Republicans they're turning their back on science they're, they' you know they're, I mean they're still fighting teaching evolution at the same time that they're fighting having masks in schools that are necessary to protect kids from a virus that 's evolving I mean just let that one sink in for a moment. They're, they're spitting on the graves of, of the founders of this country who, in some cases, laid down their lives to codify and sanctify the right to protest by passing laws that say that if there's a, a Black Lives Matter protest going on, you can drive your car into it. And if you kill somebody, that's just fine. Seriously. They are doing their best to prevent young people from learning that around half of the founders were actually slaveholders, that they think that somehow they can just whitewash, and I, I use that pun intentionally, American history, you know, just whitewash that right out of our history, rather than confront it and learn from it and make this a better republic. How is this, how does this, how does this work to their benefit? I mean, I get it over the short term, you know, it's like, you know, white supremacy, get the white suburban voters out, you know, all that kind of, I get that over the short term. Over the long term, this is not going to work. And it is harming our nation and our world. And and frankly, you know, the whole concept of of democracy, even. They're embracing anti-government militia movements. There's, you know, groups that celebrate people like Tim McVeigh. Actually, Tim McVeigh came out of one of these kind of groups. And Adolf Hitler, they're, you know, they're, they're literally, these, some of these groups are celebrating Hitler and promoting seditious insurrection. The, the, the Republicans are tolerating blatant lawlessness and corruption within their own party, supporting politicians who participated in a conspiracy to hang Mike Pence and, and murder Speaker Pelosi. And now they've got this thing for September 18th that they're, you know, oh, yeah, we got to help these patriots there. They're political prisoners, don't you know? Really? You think this is going to help the party and the country? You know, sucking up to an obese, orange, makeup-wearing billionaire who made his first fortune by, by getting his Alzheimer's-addled father to sign a paper handing most of his money over to him? You know, this guy, Trump, has literally, you know, his whole life has been a lifelong business model of ripping off contractors and customers, lying to banks, insurance companies, and the IRS, and taking dirty money from foreign oligarchs. They are taking billions in campaign contributions from the fossil fuel industry and the billionaires that it creates while they're denying climate change, all at the same time that our nation is being repeatedly hit by so-called natural disasters caused by global warming. They promote right-wing media that traffics and hysteria and lies and racial hatred. Instead of having any kind of reasonable policy discussions, they're promoting jingoism and sloganeering and the otherization of anybody who doesn't look like them, pray like them, or love like them. And then they congratulate these bullies like the Trump train that ran Kamala Harris's bus off the road that Donald Trump was out there retweeting. isn't this cool right these are the 21st century brown shirts that the republicans are congratulating how does this end well for the gop am i missing something here it looks to me like they're trading short-term political gain for long-term destruction of the republic and of their own party it makes no sense This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you, fair and only slightly unbalanced. Howard in New York City. Hey, Howard, what's on your mind today?
2: Yeah,
3: Hi. Uh, a long time ago, I was president of uh, Citibank South Korea and had the fortune to have lunches and dinners with George H.W. Bush and J.Y. Chung, who uh, was the founder of Hyundai. That must and have been fascinating. Oh man! I spent uh, three or four days with them, escorting them around. You w. Bush was just like my grandfather in those days. Hmm. Anyway, he wanted to find out what North Koreans who escaped from North Korea felt of the dictatorship there. And the thing they were other t- than not eating and food and all. the thing that they were the North Koreans were most terrified of was what they just did. In Texas, they put a they put embedded spies in the community, embedded spies in corporations, put a bounty. Any of these people could tell the uh, the dictator that they were anti dictatorship. These people who go right to jail,
1: maybe even worse. And
3: well, that's, that that's the same thing
1: the Stasi did in East Germany. Exactly right. They turned. They literally it's had right. one third of the country spying on the other two thirds of their country.
3: It's incredible. But my my terror now is that if trump becomes president and if we don't get the voting rights settled i'm afraid that might happen why couldn't he set bounties on people put spies in like i'm sure hillary clinton would be the first to go to jail he could do that set bounties on people that offend him that he's so vindictive and crazy yeah he not only could
1: i mean you know he has done that He has taken down politicians he's taken down people who offended him and he's proclaimed his 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 not just willingness, his enthusiasm for doing something like that. I, I this whole bounty thing, Howard. I, I that's a fascinating story about George H. W. Bush in North Korea, um, and I and I think an instructive one. This whole bounty thing is very very troubling. I mean, it's it's you know what's the logical endpoint of it? I, I think it's what you're describing.
3: Yeah, and that terrifies me, man anyway just thought I'd mention that to you
1: yeah it's a fascinating one a, you know when you think about it it's uh, have you ever seen the movie the lives of others Howard no I haven't it is amazing I don't know where you can find it now it's probably online someplace uh, if nothing else you could probably buy it on Amazon but it's uh, it's in German and it's subtitled in English but it is uh, it's about this guy, this kind of average guy who lives in East Germany during the time that it was East Germany, and uh, is spying on his neighbors for the Stasi, and what he learns about his neighbors and how it influences him in his own life, and then how he realizes that he's being spied on by the other neighbors, thus the title, The Lives of Others, you know. And I have lived in Germany, and you know, I lived in West Germany, I, tra- I traveled around in East Berlin, I lived right on the East German border for part of the time that I was in Germany but I never really understood their system of social control. And, you know, the Chinese now have this one that's highly digitized, essentially. You know, their social, they they now have a point system, basically, for to be a good citizen. Um, But in in East Germany, it was just far more brutal. It was just, you know, turning your neighbors and, uh, you know, compile dossiers on everybody. It was amazing. Howard, thank you. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the, uh, frankly, the a uh, great idea to, uh, to riff about one of these days. Thank you. Okay, I, I, just a. Uh, To add to this, I mean, the the things I was going through a a few minutes ago are, you know, as serious as snakebite, right? I mean, you know, this is the Republican Party, I believe, is disintegrating right in front of us. Any semblance or claim to authority or legitimacy as a real, honest, legitimate political party in the tradition of America, uh, I think has largely been abandoned by most of the Republican Party. There are a few exceptions. You know, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, with whom I disagree on most, most issues, are basically holding the final flickering, it's not even a torch anymore, it's like a lit kitchen match, right, of what used to be the GOP. And then you look at, you know, how badly this party has disintegrated. It, it, the former president, you know, the former guy, the obese billionaire who wears orange makeup, He is uh, bragging, this is from TMZ. We told Triller, the media company behind the event, uh, let me explain actually what this is about. Donald Trump is going to be doing play-by-play or blow-by-blow or whatever you call it when you do a boxing match, you know, when you narrate it or whatever the appropriate word is on 9-11. Yeah, 9-11 and they're, they're gonna provide him with a private jet. Uh, People are saying this is beyond disrespectful. And uh, TMZ says, we're told Triller, the media company behind the event, is paying a fortune, millions and millions, for his blow-by-blow analysis, though our sources would not be more specific. I doubt he's getting millions. It costs 50 bucks, by the way, to watch this. It's Um, pay-for-view. I doubt he's making millions. In fact, I doubt he's being paid much of anything other than the free private plane ride because he's just, like, desperate for publicity right now. Trump is becoming more and more irrelevant every day that goes by. And, and sadly, every day that another thousand of his supporters and voters are dying from this god-awful disease that they keep insisting you can cure with horse paste. I mean, this, this is just, what would you call this? Bizarre tales from the right wing, right? Incels, turtle love, and another Trump con. Well, that's the, the Trump con. Here's the, here's the turtle love. Mitch McConnell gushes over Manchin and Cinema holding up spending package. That's the headline by Brad Reed over at, what is it, Raw Story? This is a quote from Mitch McConnell. Honest to God. This is a quote from Mitch McConnell. We are down to two who are resisting, Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema from Arizona. I pray for them every night. I wish them well. We give them lots of love. Gee, you think? And money? Okay, no, that's number two. Number three, this is totally bizarre. This is Larry Elder, the, the right wing radio host, and who wants to be the next governor of California? That election is happening, you know, over the course of the next week here. Uh, he's running an ad. At the start of the video, a guy named Brett Gold, uh, you know, looks into the camera as if he's talking to Newsom and says, "You remind me of the guy in high school who took my girlfriend." Really? This is how you run a political campaign? It's mind-boggling. And then just if uh, the, some of the headlines from the right wing today, from the writing. Uh, the Blue State Conservative, the headline, The Immorality of Ignoring Ivermectin. Really? We are not ignoring it. We're pointing out that it doesn't cure COVID. Uh, and NOQ report, The Public Deserves More Than Trust Us Regarding Vaccines. Right. That's why we publish the science on it. Uh, Ann Coulter, over <laughs> she's writing, uh, talking about uh, the Afghan refugees and whatnot, how they're coming, you know, they're coming into the United States and whatnot. Instead, she says uh, we should invade their countries, kill their leaders, and convert them to Christianity. Uh, front page another right wing publication the headline suicide by replacement migration this is all about oh my god we just let some brown people into the country from afghanistan whether by design or not replacement migration is a way to transform the character of a nation in other words race right uh, and they go on with this now uh, here's another headline uh, from information liberation time capsule under robert e lee statue will include lgbt pin and blm sticker right How's this going to end up for the Republican Party? Where is this going to go? I just don't see how it works out for them. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. And welcome back. I saw this report on one of the, you know, one of the web blogs out there about how Donald Trump has offered to buy that Robert E. Lee statue they took down to put in his bedroom. And I was reading it thinking, weird, but yeah, okay, so, and I, and then I got there and it was Andy Borowitz. Of course it was Andy Borowitz. But anyway, I, you know, it's like, what? Where is this country headed if the Republicans continue this strategy? There's, a, there's another piece. And I'm going to pick up your phone calls in just a second, but I just want to lay this on you. There is a fascinating article. Actually, there's a number of them. They're all over the Internet talking about how the Republican strategy for 2022 is going to be to blame Joe Biden for the resurgence of COVID. Now, you will recall... I have been telling you this is coming for over a year. <laughs> it's like or for about a year that the Republicans are going to try to blame that, you know, that if, if Biden becomes president and then when Biden became president, you know, back before January 20th, actually before November of last year, the Republicans were downplaying COVID because they didn't want the economy to go in the tank because they were afraid that would hurt them at the election, uh, you know, at the ballot box. And of course, it did hurt them at the ballot box. Now they're trying to upplay COVID, as in make it worse and draw attention to it and complain about it, because they think that that's going to that hurt the economy and that will, and, and as well as hurting Demo, Democrats in the election. And I'm not sure it's going to work. Because I think people have figured out that it's Republicans who are refusing to wear masks. It's Republicans who don't want to get vaccinated. And the Republicans actually, I mean, this is like, there are multiple sources now leaking this, that inside the Republican Party, they're having meetings talking about how can we blame the Democrats for COVID, for the Delta, for the Delta variant, for this uptick in COVID that we have right now, that's happening on the watch of the Democrats, on, the, on Joe Biden's watch. How can we blame him for that? And they're trying, they're out there trying to, literally trying to blame him for it. And it's just not working. And I, you know, I just don't see how it it works out. Susan in Decatur, Georgia. Hey Susan, what's on your mind today?
0: Hey Tom, I have the answer to your question. Okay, great. My uncle, (laughs) yeah, my uncle was a miniature Trump. He did a lot of things and acted a lot of ways like Trump did. So through growing up around him my whole life, I had to learn, the family had to learn how to kind of guess what he could possibly do next, you know. So feeding off from what we were talking about last week with the whole Bannon thing, he is going to run on abortion with all me, and he's going to campaign on that because that's what he promised by putting the judges on the Supreme Court that he would ban abortion. And secondly, your question about the science and Biden doing well, bad. Hang on,
1: hang on just a second, Susan. Let's, let's get to that in just a second. Let's deal with this first, if we may. You really believe that Donald Trump, at A, that he's going to run for president. I don't think he is. I think it's yes. just a scam to raise money. And B, that that it's a vote winner i mean uh, yes. like more than yes. 50 percent of the population to say that you've outlawed yes. abortion I, I i'm skeptical about both those claims M- make no, your case i
0: don't think so not from the whack noodles that i've met that are complete 1000 percent trump holes. they course, are excited
1: of course you live in georgia um, and i live in oregon so that may account yeah, for a difference are, in perspective they, let
0: me tell you also in georgia as a heads up uh, the Trump, whole neo-Nazi, Confederate people are coming. They are coming to uh, protest the Lee statue coming down. So everyone beware. Hmm. But also, the whole thing about uh, Biden doing bad with COVID—that's because he's going to flip it around with the whole anti-vax thing, and he's going to say science doesn't work. Because Biden's COVID numbers are worse than they were under me, so we don't even have to follow science, and it'll be a whole Bolsonaro situation.
1: But how do you know that? And and but Bolsonaro is having to. For people who don't know, he's the Jerry Bolsonaro is the president of of uh, Brazil right now, and he's and he's like he's following the Trump playbook uh, brilliantly, and he's ranting about yeah. you know uh, voter fraud. That's his new thing, and he's putting his hack, uh, you know, toadies in charge of the elections, uh, in my opinion, right. to steal the next election, which is what the Republicans obviously trying to do as well. Um, I don't know that it's going to work out for him. But, you know, I get what you're saying, Susan. I completely understand it. And I agree that a large chunk of the Republican base is going to go down this road. But I think they're like lemmings he- heading for the edge of the cliff. They're just There's not enough people who are believing this, and they're dying at the Trump rate of a thousand a day.
0: Yeah, but Trump wants to make a comeback, just like Hitler made a comeback. He, if a man sleeps with a Hitler book by his side for twenty years, yeah. that, there's a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. I it's, mean, you
0: just have to keep putting the pieces together. It's gonna fall. I mean, it's gonna fall apart. But we've got to go through the worst part first.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see, Susan. Thank you for the for a thoughtful conversation on all this. I appreciate it. Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today?
5: Hi, Tom. You were discussing about the tactics of Trump, and I had a call to tie together the stuff that we heard in the news about the anti abortion laws that Texas has called the Texas governor. A Trump follower, a Trump supporter. When you've got the anti-vaccination um, and anti-mask mandates by another Trump supporter, that being Florida, DeSantis, DeSantis yeah. they come. Yeah, we have all these um, laws coming up that's designed to save lives, and then they got the audacity to say we're interested in protecting lives, we're interested in protecting the unborn. And I say that's a bunch of hogwash because you are the same guys that are favoring the ongoing gun violence. You're favoring attacks towards people that are speaking the truth and calling you guys out, those that do not share the same opinions as you. You are more deadly to the American people than the tactics used by Democrats. I would argue that we're the ones that are more protective of human life than they give us credit for, and they 're just pretty much all about violence and deadly stuff, and then want to get into um people 's personal business, you know get into women 's personal um private health issues, which is a hippo violation in case you didn't know and then when Greg was going to say. So, my, so, Michael, if,
1: if, if Democrats were to come out and uh, I'm recalling back in the 70s, uh, in the early 70s, if you said, I'm a member of the pro-life movement, everybody understood that you were opposed to the death penalty. That was, that was called the pro-life movement from the 1940s right up until the 1970s. And then in 74, 75, thereabouts, some preachers rose up and said, we are the... Uh, pro-life movement. We're against abortion, and they rebranded it. I'm wondering if it could be rebranded again. If uh, the Democratic Party or or some folks within the Democratic Party were to come out and say, uh, "We are rolling out the 21st century pro-life movement. We are. We want to support." comprehensive sex education in our schools to reduce unwanted pregnancies. We want to provide health care to everybody in the United States, free national health care system so that everybody has access to it. We want to make lives better. You know, we're pro-life, right? We want to make lives better for young people by giving them, you know, pre-K, free pre-K, and and, and we're going to strengthen our schools. We're going to have free public colleges and things like this. These are all pro-life things. We're going to reduce the, the pollution th- that is, you know, destroying our atmosphere, global warming. We're going to cut carbon poisons. We're going to reduce the poisons that are, that are generally in our, you know, like Trump just gutted the EPA and actually legalized a pesticide that we know causes brain damage mm-hmm. to young children for our food supply. It's been in our food supply for, for the last two years. Biden just took it out. So, you know, just kind of going through this list of all these things that affect life and say, this is our pro-life agenda and just start referring to it constantly as the pro-life agenda. What do you think, Michael?
5: That would work because you're defining what life really is about without get stepping into or crossing the line of so personal stuff. And then we got Abbott saying he's going to eliminate rapists and future rapists. Yeah. What in the world does that mean? That opens the door to more racial profiling just as to stop the for thing. Republicans yeah. keep opening up a can of worms, and then we're trying to stop it.
1: Yeah, there you go. Michael, thank you. Um, yeah, that Greg Abbott thing. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to solve the the abortion problem by ending rape right right you're listening to Tom Hartman visit tomhartman.com for audio and video archives you know obviously we all want to end rape but like that's not i mean it's just it's just it's it's, it's pathetic at these guys are- in Stamford, Connecticut. Hey, Sean, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's up?
6: Oh, hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Good. You asked a question at the end of your last night about the oh, the Republican Party, and I realized what you were describing is actually corporate America, mm-hmm. where everything is short-term gain, not looking at
1: the future. It's always, what can I do now? That's a great point. It's the same kind of uh, ideology. It's almost like you know, a caricature of ADHD. <laughs> you know, living yeah, exactly. in the moment. Yeah, right?
6: and also when you think about when you up the, the guy who's on prison from the Bronx about uh, the pro life movement. Mm-hmm. You know, by ending abortion, you could have these n- newborn children who can now become soldiers for your corporatist agenda army, if you will. Right. So there's that. So I, I see where, we, where he was going and where you're coming from, but I think it's that we all have to sue and simmer for a while and figure out what are they really going at. But I think that may be it. Could, but, but as a party, um, you can almost stick a fork in them because they're done.
1: I, I think so. I really do. I think that the only way that the Republican Party holds on to power is with a white supremacist base in rural states that are almost entirely white or by cheating, basically by rigging elections and things. I, you know, it's, it seems like that is their formula, and I right. don't think well, it's also, a sustainable. But but formula.
6: as but as the suburbs, you know, major urban areas and suburbs become more and more Democrat because people thought, okay, suburbs were usually Republican. That's not the case anymore.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 changing. Sean, thank you. Excellent points, all. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up?
7: Uh, yeah, I had CNN on briefly apparently trump said that if robert e lee had been a general in afghanistan we would have won the war but that's not (laughs) what i really wanted to call about
1: if the loser Uh, had run had won the war we would have won i don't get the logic of that one
7: yeah yeah well you know i i I was hoping for anybody from cnn in that panel there would have actually mentioned that but they didn't they went off about how trump's just a lunatic and saying things to get support but you know I, i was gonna I want to say this right now. One thing that's been off the table for quite a number of decades now, I think, is the population growth in the world. Yeah. And, of course, if, if you're banning abortion, that just means more people. If you're banning birth control, because, you know, that's the irony. Okay, you don't want to have abortion, but then these same extremist Christianists, and I'm glad you used that term, they don't even want to have birth control either. There's this idea that, you know, and it it comes from right-wing catholics many 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 years ago about well jesus wants more souls to save so we need more people to be well born. It,
1: it goes back two thousand years to the times when the tribe that had the most people you know back when you know wars were fought with spears and bows and arrows and clubs and things and, yeah. and whichever whichever army had the most people basically always won and so what That's do you want to do you want to have as many babies as possible
7: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I want to bring up that when when you you and I were born, which was basically around the same time, wasn't there just like two two plus billion people in the world and now we have seven billion? Yeah. I mean, look at the pollution that's come out of that.
1: Yeah, we hit two billion in 1930. We hit three billion in 1960. And now we're we're closing in on eight, I think. It's hard to keep track of. It's amazing. Dennis, thank you for the call. in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Kim, what's on your mind today?
2: Uh, I think I figured it out.
1: (laughs) Okay. What's the the plan here?
2: Uh, The why. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Follow the money, as usual. Um, There's a big deal about collecting donations. Okay. They get to pull that into their own personal stash and blah, 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 blah. So the more... If you follow... I just put up a TV antenna and I got the three local networks and... I use the TV as background noise, and it's reality TV and competition game shows—absurd stuff, absurd, absurd um, pace.
1: Right, it's bread and circus. So the more stupidity these righties throw out there,
2: the more money they rake in, the more the richer they get. They don't care if they get reelected. The fallout for the for the long haulers like. Uh, um, uh, Mitch, what's his? The turtle. Yeah, Mitch um, McConnell. Yeah. yeah, the turtle. Um, you know, he's going to be retiring soon anyway, and he's got his thing done. I mean, the power thing is done. He's raking in money. Oh, too. he's he's
1: gone from having a net worth of nothing to a net worth of tens of millions of Bingo. dollars. and Trump a,
2: made that possible. To be a turtle, and Gates, the 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 pedophile. Um,
1: Matt Gates, yeah.
2: Yeah, or the to be proven pedophile. Um, I mean, he's raking in the dough. And the wacko. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the
2: female the, yeah, the whatever Trader, what's her name?
1: Her name, is, name?
2: Yeah. she's <laughs> bringing in zillions. I mean, not zillions, you know, I'm exaggerating. Yeah. But, you know, that's.
1: She actually, Marjorie Taylor Greene brought in $3 million uh, yeah, last quarter, I think it was. And, and people are scratching he, their head where'd this money come from? Um,
2: Chaos but, pays because that's what they're fi- the TV at night that normal people can afford. Uh,
1: at the so, are you exercise. suggesting, Kim, that what's happened here is that the Republican Party has decided that rather than being a political party, they are a vehicle for entertainment? And basically, it's like pay for play. Uh, you know, it's like having your yes. HBO subscription. Um, yes. People send a check to the to the, your favorite Republican politician periodically, yes. and they'll do absurd things on TV and entertain you.
2: I don't think people equate the fact that if I send this guy money, he's going to entertain me. I think they think uh, because the dumbing down of America is apparent. And uh, I I consider uh, COVID kind of a bogey because it is weeding out a lot of the stupid. uh, That's cold and and heartless, but that's the way I feel. And uh, uh, unfortunately, taking some good people with them. Mm. But, uh, you know, if you're sick and you have a heart attack and you can't get into the ICU because there's a bunch of unvaccinated idiots in there, um, I'm sorry. Which is, by the (laughs) way,
1: happening. Oregon, the state where I live, just told Idaho, the next state over... That we will not take their hosp- their their people from their hospitals, which are overflowing, because our hospitals right now are at nine. Hey. We were we were at seven percent of capacity a couple days ago. We're at nine percent capacity right now, and uh, you know, but you know, we're particularly in the in the in the large you know areas: Portland, Salem, uh, Eugene. Uh, basically, we have three big cities in in, in Oregon. Um, You know, we're well vaccinated. I mean, we're really well vaccinated. And and uh, but we've got a problem in our own red counties. And those red counties are flooding people into the blue county hospitals. And we just told Idaho, sorry, can't take any more of your people. I you know, I know you want to send them, but we can't do it. I got I Kim, I got to run. But thank you. Thank you. Great ideas. All Nick in Crofton, Maryland. Nick, you have the last minute this hour. What's up?
4: Hey, thanks, Tom. i got to really quickly say that uh, I think you do as good a job of anybody in the United States of talking about these issues and Thank having you. us think about them. Um, what do you think about this, a two-pronged approach? I think that the Biden administration, not that I'm, I'm, not, I'm general approval of what they're doing, but they have to take a stronger tack on uh, the, the uh, January 6th people, and the origins of it, and they have to send a stronger message because, to me, and this may be just my personal opinion, I don't, I think they're kind of like, well, I, I we we want to, you know, prosecute them, but no, and we all know if this was Black Lives Matter, what would what, what happen about all of this, mm-hmm. and just general the generality of the the Trump administration needs to finally be brought to justice. And, and send a strong message to, to these uh, militias out in the country that you're not going to be allowed to do this. We need to take a stronger, focused I don't like to use the word tough because that's what the word that Trump used. But I think you would agree a more focused, effective strategy of closing these people down for business.
1: Right. But there's a very delicate line here, uh, Nick. We've got to be sure that we do it using the rule of law. If we do it the way that Trump would have done it, then we just end up like the Republicans. And that destroys the Democratic Party as well as the country
4: with the way he did it, but I agree with you, yep, yeah, that's
1: right. Yep, Nick, thank, right, you. thank you, thank you, I'm I'm with you, uh, you know, g- toughen up here, and, and Merrick Garland is not quite as aggressive as I would like, but we'll see, we'll see, I'll give him another few months. Nick, thanks for the call, we'll be right back.
4: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is *Shatter the Nations: ISIS and the War for the Caliphate* by Mike Gillio. This is from the prologue, *Dayline Mosul, Iraq, February 2017*. Abdul Wahab swore it was a true story. His eyes were reflected in the rearview mirror as he sped his pickup through battle-beaten country. To the left, the setting sun cast a Polaroid haze across brown fields and squat stone farmhouses. To the right was a ridge of mountains ahead was a flat road and a darkening sky. There was a soldier, a big soldier named Will. That's how Abdul Wahab put it. He pronounced the name Wool. Wool, Wool, he said it a couple more times like he hadn't said it in a while. He slowed the truck to roll through the final checkpoint manned by the Kurdish militia whose green and red flags snapped in a bitter wind. A soldier in a scarf manned a machine gun on the barricade that marked the boundary. From there, the road led 60 miles through territory controlled by the Iraqi military to the edge of Mosul and the last bastions of the ISIS caliphate. Will was one of the American special forces sent to Iraq more than a decade earlier to kill insurgents. The nights of the Iraq war had been filled with U.S. commando raids, and the Americans had created Abdul Wahab's elite battalion to do the raids with them, an Iraqi version of the Delta Force, or SEAL Team 6. The battalion had an English name, the Iraqi Counterterrorism Force, and was known by its initials, ICTF, which the men sewed onto their uniforms and painted on their Humvees. The Iraqis admired their American mentors. They picked up the special forces ethos, wore baseball caps and sunglasses, used words like the F word and bro and dude. But Will was different, Abdul Wahab said. He would lose control. Abdul Wahab kept his foot on the gas pedal as he raced through a Christian town that seemed to be empty. ISIS had destroyed some of the houses and the ones still standing were dark. Not a soul was visible except a trio of Iraqi soldiers who sat on a leather couch on the roadside. The photographer Warzar Jaff, was in the passenger seat. I was in the back. Abdul Wahab's M-16 was by my feet. An ICTF veteran in his 40s who had given up fighting, Abdul Wahab had been ferrying Jaff and me to and from Mosul for months. He was stocky and gruff, an expert at passing through the myriad checkpoints that led to the front lines, always knowing what to say or whom to call or when to gift his sunglasses to an admiring militia man. He was an ideal wheelman for navigating the strange tapestry of the alliance, with all its varied forces flying their banners around the city like armies in a medieval siege. His commanders used him for special transport of weapons and supplies and officers who wanted to escape for a night to the hotels of Erbil, the Kurdish capital and nearest outpost of modernity, a place where they could find a decent dinner and booze or visit a mall or swim in a pool and grasp at a moment of normalcy on the edge of the world's most brutal war zone. As grumpy as Sean, he was forever making the 45-mile journey between the two valley cities, and when Jaff and I had no other way to get to the war, we went with him. A folk song about an old battle was playing on the radio. You made your tribe proud of you. I can hear them scream. Abdul Wahab was still talking about Will. First, he began shooting animals on patrol. Then on a raid one night, he shot an old man as he opened his front door. Abdul Wahab had seen it happen. The man's daughter was screaming, beating her chest in grief, and Will said something like, I just gave him an injection. He's sleeping, and threw a mattress onto the old man. He killed a teenager in front of his mother, jamming his gun into the boy's mouth. Abdul Wahab said he saw the boy's mangled head. He killed one man as Iraqi medics were treating him. He killed another while he lay in bed beside his wife. I asked what had happened to Will. Abdul Wahab said he didn't know. Will was transferred one day, and that was the last he'd seen of him, but he reckoned that a man like him must have met his judgment eventually. What he was telling me I knew was a ghost story. It reminded me of old reports of torture and orange jumpsuits and dead civilians, and that what America asked of its soldiers could unhinge them. The war that defined my parents' generation in Vietnam had the draft and civil unrest with it. By the time the Iraq War started when I was 18, America had a volunteer army, so people like me could carry on without worrying that our number would be called. The country still found itself with a guilty conscience, though, and in this war with ISIS, The only U.S. soldiers on the front lines were the secret kind, small groups of commandos whose every mission was classified, while U.S. pilots and drone operators dropped bombs. It was left to local soldiers, like the men of Abdul Wahab's battalion, to do the bulk of the fighting. And as far as most Americans and their politicians were concerned, the war was out of sight and out of mind. In a way, it made sense. Fewer Americans lost their lives or their minds or committed war crimes. There were fewer stories like wills. Yet in this new kind of US war that culminated in Mosul, the deadliest urban battle in which America had engaged in at least half a century, the toll was still being paid by the local soldiers who were US allies and by the civilians who were dying by the thousands in the crossfire. And I worried about the psyche of a country that still considered itself at war, but was more disengaged than ever from it, with no sense of shared sacrifice or even collective responsibility. On the one hand, America seemed obsessed with ISIS, roiling with every terror attack, while on the other, they made little effort to understand the enemy or the local soldiers doing most of the killing and dying to stop it. The book Shatter the Nations. You're listening
4: to Tom Hartman.
1: On the line with us right now is Professor Richard Wolf, the economist, the co founder of democracyatwork.info, the author of numerous books. His latest book is The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Also available as an e book. Uh, RDWolf with two F's.com, also uh, his website. Uh, Prof ProfWolf, P R O F W O L F F, is his Twitter handle. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Can, can you, I, I, we keep bouncing this word neoliberalism around, and it's like the movement that has no name. It, it, and and I, I'm wondering if you can just lay down a, a straightforward explanation of uh, what neoliberalism is, where it came from, and why we should care about it.
8: Okay, I'd be glad to. Um, the confusion is particularly strong here in the United States because we use the word liberal in a different way uh, from the way, for example, they do that in England or in most of Europe. In those parts of the world, liberal means the opposite of government intervention, it's what we would call private enterprise, or a privatized economy, an economy in which the government's economic interventions are minimized, or in the more extreme formulations, absent altogether. So you might say the opposite of of liberal in that language, in that kind of English, uh, is the notion of Keynesian economics, or active, ongoing state intervention. So what then is neoliberalism? Well, it's really a term that came into vogue around the 1970s. And it came into vogue with the ascendancy of Margaret Thatcher in England and Ronald Reagan in the United States. That was thought, particularly by them, uh, to be a great turning point in America after the legacy of the... Of the uh, uh, Great Depression and the New Deal had worn off. In other words, in the era of the 1930s of the Great Depression, the basic idea was that private capitalism had collapsed and the government had been called in to rescue. Private capitalism uh, with unemployment insurance, the social sec- security system, government hiring, minimum wages, lots of governmental active economic intervention. And that was the dominant view of how the modern capitalism would have to work from about 1930, oh, 31, 32 all the way to Thatcher and Reagan, that is, uh, the 70s, so almost half a century. Then, the story goes, this petered out. This approach of government intervention left a lot of people unsatisfied, not just the business community, although they were the most upset, but other people, too, who felt that inflations and stagnations were also Part of it. So there needed to be a change. And the right wing really took the, the bit between its uh, lips and ran with it uh, and developed an alternative. And they literally stood the old Keynesian New Deal idea on its head. Instead of the private economy being the problem and the government is the solution, they reversed it. Everything in the economy that doesn't work well, they blamed on the government. And the entire solution would be what was variously called privatization or minimizing the government or getting the government off our backs. It was literally the opposite for the last 40 years of what you had had for the previous 40 years. And it got the name neoliberalism, the return to a... A supposedly great situation where the government would be getting out of our hair and we would return to the glories and wonders of private enterprise, private markets, let the corporations do whatever they need and want to do, because the pursuit of profit by business is the royal road to prosperity and growth for all of us. And a key part of that was came to be globalization. The idea that the globe should be remade, the world economy remade by profit-driven corporations, all of them private, and governments should simply get out of the way and let the wonders of the market unfold. With the collapse, the crash of 2008, and now again the crash of 2020, a crash that happened even before COVID, now you see that we're probably at a switch point again where all of the criticisms leveled at government inter- economics in the 70s is now being levied against this neoliberal phase. And so you even have people like Paul Krugman and others who were once enamored of the privatization neoliberalism, changing and going back to seeing an important set of roles for the government.
1: So, uh, you know, in the uh, Warren Harding, when he was elected in 1920, um, his, his uh, two campaign slogans were uh, a return to normalcy, and by that he meant dropping the 91% top, top tax rate that had been put in place because of World War I. And he did that. He took it down to 25%. And, and more government, in bu- no, more business in government, less government in business, which was basically what you just described, right? To reduce the role Back. of government and government regulation. That uh, kicked off the Roaring Twenties, although there is an argument to be made that the Roaring Twenties was also kicked off by the end of the flu epidemic. Uh, and right. I think we understand that better now, having been through COVID. Um, and it led right straight to the crash of 1929, and that was, at, at that point, everybody kind of abandoned that theology and embraced Keynesianism, you know, FDR and Keynesianism. Um, did that have a name back then? Uh, I mean, we call it neoliberalism now, and was it essentially the same thing? Because back then, uh, we had, I think, the average tariff on imported goods in the United States was well north of 20%, maybe even as high as 30%, uh, which is very different from now. Um, you know, how, how do these... Eras compare, uh, and well, I
8: think, and I think, Tom, your question answers itself. I can't answer your question. Good question. I don't know of any overarching term equivalent to neoliberalism. Certainly, it wasn't neoliberalism then. But the reality is, we've all forgotten. We don't know our history. Uh, It's important that you bring to our attention that this is, in a way, nothing new, that the the war is a time when the government realizes, uh uh-oh, we better not stick it to the mass of people quite as badly as we have before, otherwise we won't have a unified country and will lose the war. So they do a few things, like upping taxes on the rich and on corporations. But as soon as the war is over, assuming that they've won it, they quickly undo what they just did. And and you can see it again in 1945. The World War II is over. They can, in one fell swoop, they can get rid of Roosevelt. They can get rid of the New Deal. And they can get rid of all the wartime excuse me all the wartime steps that they took uh... only now because there was an admixture of professors perhaps in a way that there wasn't in harding's time all of it gets glorified into a an ism neoliberal ism Mm. uh... to raise it up to something that they can claim to be historical but you bring us right back with your question to the real hard ground that this is pretty old cheese what we're watching here, including the fact That within a few years after you deregulate, because that's what neoliberalism loves to talk about, deregulate, get the government out, within a few years, I mean, I like to use this example. In 1999, Bill Clinton signs the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act. The Banking Act that was passed in 1933 to control the terrible impact on our depression of what banks did. The banks fight it. By 1999, they get the Democratic president to sign off on repealing it. And nine years later, the economy experiences the worst crash since the 1930s. I mean, you need a playwright to write a script. And if he did, it would be considered to be a little bit mechanical the way this <laughs> thing has been rerun on us.
1: Yeah. So so where do we go from this? I mean, this this uh, epidemic of neoliberalism has uh, moved at least $7 trillion out of the pockets of the middle class into the top 1%. Uh, we've seen our, our power systems and water systems privatized and and giant monopolies created to the point that, you know, uh, our power systems can't deal with floods and 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 hurricanes, and I mean it's just we've got this disaster as a result of this 40-year experiment with neoliberalism, or or maybe you could call it Reaganism. Uh, how do we get out of this?
8: Well, I think the first thing is to is to make a recognition that few people have been willing to make, which is a little bit, and this may you know may separate us from one another a moment. Uh you got to recognize that the problem isn't this or that phase of the capitalist system, the one with more government, the one with less government. We've been there, we've tried that. We've tried more, we've tried less. The reason they lead into one another is that neither of them is adequate to the problems we have. Here's my fear. To the problem of if,
1: capitalism.
8: That's we right. We have just one my minute by the way to a
1: hard break, sorry.
8: Right. My fear is that we're going to now have a period of renewed government intervention. You can see it with Joe Biden and many of the things uh, that he's doing. It will help the situation. It'll be better for the mass of people than what you would have had under Reaganism or neoliberalism, for sure. Just as the New Deal was a much better deal for working people than what had gone on in the 1920s. But it doesn't solve basic problems. That's what happened in the 1970s. That's what turned it all over. No more Great Society of Lyndon Johnson. No more New Frontier of Mr. Kennedy. It all collapsed into Trumpism and all the rest of it. And my fear is if we don't learn that the problem goes deeper than the oscillation between a bit more and a bit less, if we don't finally engage the question of the system itself, we will be on the pendulum swing which is not going to be a happy place to be, particularly given the greater problems of the U.S. economy today than what we had before.
1: I get it, and thus the title of your new book: "The Sickness Is the System." When capitalism that's fails to save us, yeah. yeah. Professor, well, thank you. It's always great talking with you.
8: Same here, Tom. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Netherkin, Patrick White, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde. All the folks who work on this program. And thank you to you for uh, participating with our program and spreading the good word and supporting our sponsors and our stations. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.